my waves get lost in the ocean. Seven billion swimmers, man, I'm going through the motions. Hi, this is Nancy Herald, and welcome to my show, High Road to Humanity. In every episode, I tell you powerful true stories filled with great wisdom that you can use in your own life as you strive for a higher road to travel. My featured guests will have their own unique stories to tell that enlighten your mind and your soul. So kick back, relax, and learn the secret to success when you take the high road. Hi, this is Nancy Yerald, and welcome to High Road to Humanity. And today we've got a really interesting guest, and she's joining us from the UK. Her name is Gina Gardner, and she's written a really cool book. It's called Thriving, Not Surviving. And if you're watching me on YouTube, I'm holding up her book right here. But before I bring Gina on, I'll give you a little information about her and what we're going to talk about today. Gina Gardner is a two-time number one international best-selling author. She's a motivational speaker, an empowerment coach, transformational leader trainer, NLP, and master practitioner coach with well over 30 years experience in helping people achieve happiness, success, and fulfillment. Wow. She has supported many individuals and couples to develop a great sense of self-worth and the confidence to challenge and change limiting beliefs in order to become more loving towards themselves and others. She is passionate about helping her clients to achieve their full potential to become their genuine best selves. Hey, Gina, welcome to High Road to Humanity. Thank you very much for having me on the show. I'm really excited to be here. I'm excited to have you. I really enjoyed your book. Um, But before we get started, can you tell the audience how you got into this? I love your story. It's kind of a tragic story, but Tell how you got into this type of work. Um, I started off my professional life as a teacher. Yeah. And for the first time in my life, I found something that I really loved and I, I blossomed. Prior to that, I'd been very shy, uh, bullied at school, didn't know who I was. Um, and I was just thrilled to be able to support children in order for them to have confidence in what they were doing. And I was promoted very quickly. So at age 28, I became the the deputy principal of the largest, um, I think in America, the equivalent would be junior high school. Um, And uh, I was promoted to be the catalyst for change. I was the youngest bar two on the staff. Um, and so for the first six months, I worked with the principal to strategically plan how we were going to move things forward. Okay. Um, and in February in the UK, we get a week's holiday. And I was really uh, pleased to get to that that week. Uh, and I went off skiing and skiing was my passion. I loved to do it. Right. I was an experienced skier. Um, but in those days, the fashion was to have skis as long as possible. And I bought a pair of skis. I was convinced by the salesman to buy a a pair of skis that were 10 centimetres longer than I was used to. That's about four inches. Um, And so off I went to St. Anton in um, uh, uh, Austria and proceeded to wrap those extra four uh, four inches around themselves several times during the week. Um, And so by the Thursday, I'd had a a bad fall. And I said to my friends, look, tomorrow morning, I'm going to get my confidence back before we finish the holiday. It was the last day. Um, I'll join you for lunch. Join them for lunch. And they said, we found this fabulous new run. Come and join us. So off we went. It was a beautiful day, sunny, warm, 
uh, the, the mountains looked magnificent. And off we went on the chairlift um, and I followed them. And we hadn't gone very far when they turned the corner and it was pretty evident that this isn't where they meant to be. Oh. So as I joined them, what I found was rather than this being this beautiful red run that went for six or seven kilometres, we were at the top of the Schindlergratz, which was the most difficult black run in St. Anton. See, and I would be scared to death. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I've done black runs before, but nothing like this. It was very long, very steep and full of moguls. Now, moguls, if you're not a skier, um, they are where the weather has carved out the snow and you get lumps. And very often, you know, they're like cobbles, so they're not comfortable to ski on, but they're okay. These were six foot monsters. And I so read you, that and I was shocked. I have skied and, and I've never seen moguls that big. That's crazy. Neither have I. Yeah. And it was just mogul after mogul after mm-hmm. mogul. Yeah. So the only way to ski down was to uh, to pivot on the top of the mogul and then slide down and then go through the sort of gully and then do the same on the way back. I see. So I skied about the first third and then I had a fall because I left it too late uh-huh. to turn. And it took me about 20 minutes to retrieve my skis and get down to where my friends were sitting, each of them on a mogul, like an elf sitting on a mushroom. Right. Um, So took my skis off and we started to have a conversation. And as I say, it was a beautiful day. um, And suddenly the top of the mogul gave way. It had melted. Oh, no. And I, I started to fall, rotated out. But because of the moguls, there was nowhere to land. So uh, the last thing I remember is screaming, a scream. And then I woke up um, some way down. And it took a long time for the people that I was with to ski to me. To get you, yeah. The one good thing about that is that with the two falls and the skiing that I'd done, uh, we'd done most of the black run. And so I was determined not to use the blood wagon. And so they helped me back to the hotel. And the next day I managed to travel home and it was quite a challenging journey. Um, And my mum took one look at me and carted me off to accident and emergency. And I had a concussion and I'd trapped a nerve in my neck. And it took me a a couple of weeks to get back to school. Now, fast forward a few weeks and I was the deputy leader on the borough party, uh, taking 150, I think, six um, school children to Morjan in Switzerland. You're brave. And I was, <laughs> I was hearing it so well, brave for taking the children or brave for going <laughs> both. <laughs> <laughs> this is something I'd done for, for, for a number of years. Um, and it was normally great fun. But mm. as the week went on, I became more and more like Cosimodo and mm. I was struggling. And it got to the last day and uh, the children had done all their races and we got back to the hotel. And I said to my colleagues, I'm going to have to go and lie down. I just can't manage anymore. So I went off to my room and I lay down. And within a very few minutes, I discovered that I was paralysed down one side. Oh, no. Now, there were children uh, in the corridor. I didn't want to shout out because I didn't want to frighten them. Right. But that time, that waiting for an adult to come and check on me felt like forever. Mm-hmm. I've no idea how long it was actually. It could have been just a few minutes, but um, it seemed like forever. It seemed like forever. Yeah. And then there was a just everything went mad, and I was carted off to hospital and then transferred to Geneva Hospital. 
and flown home uh, about a week later, straight to hospital. And it took me until May to get back to school. And I was struggling. I was doing school and going home and going to bed. So by the time we got to the school summer holidays, I was really relieved. And I thought, I've got six weeks now. I can focus on recovering. Ten days in, I got a phone call very early one morning from the principal's wife. And she was absolutely hysterical because she just found John, the principal, dead in bed. Oh, my goodness. And he'd had a heart attack. Oh, my goodness. So instead of it being a holiday of recuperation, I helped her organise the funeral. I had to let the staff, the children, the parents, the authority know what had gone on and plan for September. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was acting head from that that day. And um, in the uh, January, I was appointed to be the permanent head. Wow. And I was the head for over 20 years. Wow. What a cool cool thing. Um, deteriorated during that time and by 1987 I had to use a wheelchair to get around school although I didn't use it in the classrooms or my office or the hall but in 96 I sneezed and ruptured a disc uh, and I had a failed back surgery um, and I couldn't put my left foot to the floor without fainting and so became wheelchair bound I'm sorry and it took me 18 months to walk to the bottom of the garden Three months later, it was again the beginning of the, just before the summer holidays, um, and I was sick, and I ruptured a second disc, and again had failed back surgery syndrome, and was I couldn't I couldn't stand at all, and so between then and two thousand and four, I was completely wheelchair bound. Wow! Now that was a huge gift in this, and I know people who are listening to this might find that strange. Um, to consider but the gift was that I developed a a unique um, a unique way of getting the best out of people of helping them take radical responsibility for their own performance and a shared responsibility for the team it was incredibly successful the school was on the best 100 schools list uh, in the country that's amazing that's amazing that you did this um I'd like to think that I would have developed that style if I'd been able-bodied, but I'm honest enough to recognise that I'd have probably been too interfering. Right. And it was the, the recognising that the only way forward was I had to, in some way, give people that understanding of what did excellence look like in the context of the school and have a shared language around that. Mm-hmm. But also to motivate people to want to take responsibility and to work together as a very close-knit team. Well, and you lived, you were an example for them. I think all leaders have to walk their talk. Yeah. You know, that's part of your genuine power. Right. And whether you're talking about leadership in the business context or the educational context, Mm -hmm. um, but I think we have to be the leaders in our own life, whether we're leading just ourselves or whether we're leading in the family situation or any organization social or professional if you're not leading yourself first and leading by example there's a lack of authenticity there right enlightened leadership is about integrity and the authenticity is a big part of integrity it's about having compassion 
for yourself and others. And it <laughs> is about having the courage to do what's right and not just what's easy. Right. And, and I can tell that this changed your life. And obviously it changed all the people around you and really helped all of you um, as a group, as a team. It helped your whole school, obviously, because you were so successful. Hey, listen, we're getting ready to go to commercial break. Um, your story is very heart-wrenching, but yet very um, motivating because it made you who you are today. Hey, you guys, we're here today with Gina Gardner. I'm holding up her book. It's called Thriving, Not Surviving. This is Nancy Earl, and we'll be right back. Hang on. We have more stories to tell on High Road to Humanity. Check out Nancy's website, nancyyearout.com, to book a session with Nancy to learn how to tap into your own abilities. Have you ever been in a situation where you needed a miracle? I think most of us probably have. Whether it's a financial emergency, health crisis, or some other serious situation, most of us know the feeling of helplessness and even hopelessness. Now imagine having to wait for a miracle for six months, even a year or more. That's the situation for thousands of children all around the world who are waiting for a sponsor. Their only hope of escaping the poverty around them is someone like you choosing them. This is Nancy Yearout, and I'm joining with compassion to give you the chance to be the miracle in a child's life. For a little more than a dollar a day, you'll provide the physical, emotional, and spiritual support a child needs, not just to survive poverty, but to be released from poverty in Jesus' name. Don't make a child wait one day longer for their miracle. You can find out more or sponsor a child right now. Just go to my website, nancyyearout.com. That's www.nancyyearout.com. We want to thank you so much for listening to the show. Now, welcome back to the high road. Hi, it's Nancy Yearout. We're here today with Gina Gardner. She's joining me from the UK. She just got through telling her story about how she survived and how she has thrived. And Gina, I really enjoyed your book. I mean, there are so many things in here that were really helpful. I mean, you talk about um, reclaiming your self-worth, and I really love that. And uh, can you talk about that a little bit, just reclaiming your self-worth? I think... Well, firstly, the relationship that we have with ourselves is reflected in the relationship we have with other people. So it makes absolute sense to me to have the best possible relationship with yourself. A loving relationship, but that doesn't mean uh, indulgent. You know, if you love unconditionally, then you want the best for yourself or others. So for me, everything starts with a sense of self-worth. Our beliefs about ourselves are installed very early on and if you look at very small children babies for example that are learning to walk Mm -hmm. they have no consideration about what other people think about them right they're just just doing it (laughs) if they fall down they don't think 
do I look stupid? Oh, I better not try because I might look silly. Or does my bum look big in this nappy? They just want to do it. And so they have no concept of failure. But somewhere along the line, we learn that um, if we don't get it right very quickly, then we assume that we failed. Right. And that becomes quite entrenched. And having seen, you know, worked with children, it gets entrenched quite early. Yeah, you talk about that. You see, dealing with harsh words of others as in a child, and then it comes into our adult lives. And, and we're, we're almost programmed is what I feel like. We're programmed as children. Yeah. And then it's hard to, we have to unprogram ourselves, don't we? We do. And yeah. the interesting thing is that very often our beliefs about ourselves and the world are created by a chance remark, a parent that's saying something. And the motive is that they want you to be even better. But we make meaning of that statement or that question, you know, somebody who tells you that you're silly or, you know, the parents explained 32 times how to do something and you've not been listening. And so they say, oh, you stupid person. Right. And then you take it and you you take it literally and you start to take on that energy. Right. And then what we all do and we're very good at it is we look for evidence to support our belief. Oh, right. So let me give you an example. You're in a park and there are two people and one dog. Okay. All right. The dog approaches the first person who had a nasty experience with a dog when they're three. And so their belief is that all dogs are dangerous. As the dog approaches them, they start to wave their hands in the air going, go away, go away. (laughs) The dog starts to panic, curls its lip. Their belief that all dogs are a threat Oh, it's come true. The dog then approaches the second person who's had dogs all their life, who sees the dog and thinks, that's just like Mickey, my dog I had when I was a kid. (laughs) Hello, boy. Knows how to approach the dog. The dog smiles at them, wags its tail. Their belief that all dogs are friendly is confirmed. Now, that's a very simplistic example but that's what we do that's what happens if we believe we're of no account then we will interpret other people's motive that we're of no account so he walks past you in the street and doesn't acknowledge you the assumption is they don't like you not that they're just busy doing what they're doing i see it's just your perception of it you know i like how you say um you give in the book seven days, the seven day happiness challenge. And I thought this was really cool. And it reminded me had another guest on and she said, you say, uh, as you get up in the morning, say to yourself with some conviction, it's a new day. It's going to be a great day. And I choose to be happy. I had another guest on a couple of weeks ago and she said, ask for a heaven on earth every day. And it's similar to what you're saying here. So whatever, and I really, I'm big on energy and I think you are too. Um, when you get up and you have that you know, positive attitude, and you say, it's going to be a great day, then it is, because you've put that energy and that intention out to the universe. Is And, and talk about your seven-day happiness challenge. Tell us about that a little bit. Um, 
I call, most people live with the I'll be happy when syndrome. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> I'll be happy when I've got the perfect job. I've got the perfect partner who yeah. always puts the lid on the toothpaste and never leaves the toilet seat <laughs> up. Um, with children who don't need to be nagged to clean their bedroom. Um, that I'll have plenty of money in the bank. I'll travel where I want to. And we give ourselves all of these conditions and it's and, and, and. Now, there's a number of problems with that. Number one is it's always in the future and it's never now. And the only thing we can guarantee is now. Is now. I know. I'm working on that, Gina. Living in the now. That's my thing right now. Um, well, in- strategies for that if you want some strategies because there's some really simple ones that come in. Oh, I love it. I love it. Tell us because it's difficult. And I'm just going to say this because um, living in the now is the only way to do it. Because if you think about the past or you think about the future, you're not living in the moment, which is really all there is. So I'm open. Tell me your, uh, cause, cause I just was like, I just like correct myself. Okay. Okay. I'm not living in the now. <laughs> Let me just finish the happiness thing and then I'll go on to living in the now. Okay, cool. Okay. So instead of the, I'll be happy when, which always is in the future. And the problem with that is as soon as you achieve those things, what we do is we put more ands. Okay. So we're constantly chasing a target that's that's moving right rather than that approach it'll be i'll be happy anytime somebody phones me and says hello anytime i've got a nice cup of tea anytime i have a hot shower anytime i see something in nature that i love anytime that somebody gives me a hug and we make it easy to appreciate those things and in that moment to feel happy about it that's cool. So for me, there have been some pretty dark days and it would be very easy to focus on those dark, that, those darkness. But even in those dark days, there is always something to be grateful for. There's yeah. always something to be happy about. Yeah. And before you start into the now, I remember something you said in your book and you were saying that people, if you ask them, will tell a negative story like 34 times, but they won't tell a positive thing 34 times like there was this yeah you did like a survey or something and and it was like people always tell you what's wrong but they never tell you what's right that's kind of crazy huh research shows that people tell on average 37 people when things go wrong okay five when they go right well somebody's got my 37 (laughs) and I suspect somebody's got part of your 37 (laughs) the other thing that goes along with it is it's a bit like the fisherman's tale is that as we tell each subsequent person, it gets embellished. Right. Well, it becomes more permanent. The the energy just builds and builds and builds and builds. And when you talk about it like that, it makes total sense, Gina. Um, So think about how the world would be if it was turned the other way around. Yes, we obviously need to at times tell other people, but not to go on and on and on. And it's part of the same syndrome where people, um, I call them the problem dumpers. You know, people come and dump their problem they feel better but then you think oh and then the next person comes and dumps their problem mm-hmm. rather than people who identify the problem but then go into solution solution mode. Gotcha. so that can really help gotcha. so um do you want to go into um things to help you be in the moment yes ma'am okay now being in the moment takes some thought So some really simple exercises that can help you get a square of really, really good quality chocolate. 
Okay. And a toothpick. And a toothpick. Okay. Toothpick. And eat that chocolate with a toothpick. So that as you put that tiny morsel on your tongue, start to savour it. Experiment with putting that bit of chocolate on different parts of your tongue. Look, feel the sensation as it melts. Feel the taste and really focus on the taste of that chocolate. Now you can do the same with a cup of good coffee or a glass of good wine. Okay. But what we tend to do is we're so busy being quick right. that we don't actually savour that moment. We gobble but it down. A very simple strategy. Second one, collect gratitudes. Okay. All right. So as you go through the day, notice the things that you appreciate and make it easy. For me, my day starts with good plumbing, a hot shower. Okay. And if ever I go anywhere and I haven't got a hot shower, I really miss it. We're the same. (laughs) um, But things like a nice cup of tea, things like, you know, my cat makes me laugh or it is a good phone call from somebody or something's gone well and somebody said, thank you. But throughout the day, actively look for things to be grateful for and notice them. Okay. It's now, step- I, now I'm going to stop you. I always say, write them down in the evening before you go to bed. I have a little book that I keep like a journal and I always write what I'm grateful for. Do you, do you say that as well? Well, I was going on to say that before you go to sleep, <laughs> choose your top five. Okay. Scan the day because you, by this time you will have dozens of them. Right. Scan the day and relive the feeling that those generated Okay. And choose five. Okay. Now, if you want to write them down, that's great. But before you go to sleep, if you're going to sleep on those gratitudes, then what you're doing over time, and within a couple of weeks, your brain starts to get recalibrated. So you're focusing on the good in life rather than the, the, the negative. Yeah, and it's really retraining ourselves because our society has has made it this way. Unfortunately, this is the way we've been conditioned, and so I I love that you have such a positive attitude, and that um, and that you're helping us retrain ourselves to be more positive and to be more happy and yes. joyful. Yes. And then another very quick strategy is to take just. Four or five minutes, that's all it takes. Find a quiet place, have your feet on the ground, close your eyes, take some deep breaths in through your uh, nose and out through your mouth. And initially, just focus on what you can hear. What can you hear externally? Around you. Can you hear anything internally, your tummy gurgling or your heart beating? Right. Then focus on what you can smell. Focus on what you can feel. Now, feel in terms of your, your clothes on your body or right. the pressure of your, your back on the seat. But then scan your body and how are you emotionally feeling in that moment? Right. Yeah. And just acknowledge it. Cool. Very cool. Hey, listen, we're getting ready to go to commercial break again. But when we come back, let's talk more about... Um, what we can do to change ourselves. And we'll talk a little bit about faith and belief. Okay. How's that sound? Cool. (laughs) 
All right, cool. Hey, you guys, we're here today with Gina Gardner. This is her book. It's called Thriving, Not Surviving. She's got some wonderful, wonderful information in here. I want to tell you it's a good read. I've got all kinds of little markers in here that I think uh, I want to talk about today. But this is Nancy Yearout. This is High Road to Humanity, and we will be right back. We'll be right back on High Road to Humanity. Make sure that you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, iHeartRadio, or download directly from Nancy's website, nancyyearout.com, so you never miss an episode of The High Road. Do you struggle with knowing the right food for your lifestyle? Is there really a one right way to eat? As a chronic dieter, I was always so confused by the food rules and the fad diets. Where to even start? That's why I decided to go into health coaching. As your health coach, I will help you find the solution that is right for you. I will help you find balance. Unlike most dietitians and nutritionists, I focus on a whole person approach, not just food. I address stress, sleep patterns, underlying root issues, and so many other contributing factors to health. And as a mental illness survivor, I love talking about ways to fire up brain health. If you're interested in learning more and maybe even a complimentary consultation, contact me at www.sparkingwholeness.com or message me on Instagram through the handle Sparking Wholeness. And now let's get back to the show. We want to thank you so much for listening to High Road to Humanity. This is where Nancy and her guests tell stories that will guide you and enlighten your mind and soul. Now, welcome back to the High Road. Hi, it's Nancy Yearout. I'm here today with Gina Gardner. She's joining me from the UK. Gina, you're just giving us lots of information. Um, I have some notes here and I wrote down um, changing others. You know, you can't change others, but you can change yourself. And, and you say, and I, and I agree with you, that when you change yourself, it affects everybody else and they change possibly too, right? Can you talk about that? The only person we have absolute control over is us. Right. We can't change other people, however much we might want to. But when we're taking radical responsibility for ourselves... And I think that's really important. I also think it's important to recognize that 95% of our thinking, our emotions, our actions, our words are habitual. So once we take radical responsibility for ourselves and we recognize that it's so easy to be triggered into that habitual way of being, Mm -hmm. then you have an opportunity to make changes. So if you've got a relationship, for example, and it could be a relationship with a partner, or your child, or it could be with your boss or your subordinates that isn't working for you, it's very common for people to blame the other person. If only they were, whatever that might be, more reasonable or more accommodating or less this. But ultimately, if you take the view, okay, let's look at what I'm doing to contribute to that situation How do I need to change in order to get a a different response? So I'll give you a couple of examples. Okay. Parents go into nag mode, okay? And they nag their children 
uh, about tidying their bedroom, for example, or doing the homework. And they will go into the same pattern of repeated behavior and language, and it's not working. You know, Einstein's definition of madness is to keep doing the same thing and expect a, resu- a different right. result. Right. But we all do it. So instead of going into nag mode and going into that normal way of being, it's time to take a step back and think about, I need to do something differently with my child in order to get them to, to do their bedroom. Mm-hmm. And by you doing something different, then you interrupt the pattern of their habitual behaviors. Right. Because in the end, nagging becomes white noise. People don't hear the words, they just hear the yak, 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 yak. Mm-hmm. And so we've got to shift that. I see. I see. If you're talking about, let me give you an example of a relationship of, of a couple that I've been working with recently, okay. where their marriage is, uh, was on the rocks when we started to, um, to, to work together. And part of the problem was that he was very aggressive and bullish in his language and his energy, never physically. But the minute he was bullish, his wife would would uh, completely withdraw. Shut down. And yeah. part of his problem is that he felt that she didn't give him attention and that she didn't show him love. Once we were able to identify the two patterns of behaviour, then it was up to both of them to change. For him to recognise that the bullish behaviour was having exactly the opposite effect of what he wanted, and for her to recognize that by closing down, she was contributing to his frustration about wanting to have a closer relationship with her. I see. And so ideally in that situation, working with both, it meant that both could make some changes. But even if only one of them had made changes, it would have it made changes a difference. the dynamic and it changes the energy. Yeah, that's what, well, yeah. And that's the thing I think people don't realize. And you're exactly right. I love your examples because you get stuck in a pattern. People get stuck and they, and they do the same. We're, we're, we're creatures of habit. We do the same thing over and over and over. You're exactly right. And we have to look at ourselves and say, wait a minute, what am I doing here that I can change? And I, and I like that because our beliefs create, you write this and I'm reading uh, on my notes, beliefs create our reality. They do. I'd like to, 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 to um, share two stories with you. if I'm Yes, not. please. The first is Roger Bannister. Many people may be familiar with him. He was the guy that, that did, ran the first four minute mile. Okay. What they may not be familiar with is that the medics of the time said to him, if you run that fast, you'll die. Oh not you might. They were absolutely convinced that he would die. <sighs> And around the arena, if you look at the footage of that race, there are men in white coats holding oxygen bottles. In the vain hope, they thought, that when he ran that fast and he collapsed, that they might be able to save him. Now, that that he ran the four-minute mile in itself is amazing. Mm -hmm. What's even more amazing to me is that within 30 days, 30 other people had run that four-minute mile. Why? Because they believed it was possible. Right. And the second story is, is really a per, very personal one. And it was a real pivotal moment for me. When I retired from being a principal in 2004, um, I studied NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming. And I wanted to go and see as many people using it as possible. And I ended up at the Excel Centre in London uh, on a Tony Robbins uh, course. Now, I went very cynically. I thought this huge American, very loud, it's all going to be hype. 
Um, but when I got there, there were 10,000 people on this course. That's Just crazy. Wow. I got goosebumps. <laughs> That's crazy. In the morning, he was talking about a program that he was running in California. And I thought, I, I'd really like to do that. Okay. But I desisted because how would I travel to America on my own? I didn't have a travel wheel, electric wheelchair in those days. Okay. And although I worked for the government as an advisor and I worked for the National College of Leadership and the London Institute when I was a serving head, and I would go all over the country, I always had a taxi driver who picked me up, same taxi driver, took me to where I was going, waited oh, and brought me back. Right. So I just dismissed it. Later that day, we did the fire walk. And for those who are uninitiated, please don't try this at home. <laughs> you walk across hot coals in bare feet. And if you're in the right mindset, you don't get burnt. Right. Now, by this time, I'd had an internal spinal stimulator fitted and I could walk a few steps um, with help. And so I was absolutely thrilled to walk the 30 feet or so um, over hot coals. Uh, and as I settled back into my wheelchair, I was really, really thrilled. Gina, that's but crazy. Right behind me was a double amputee, right. no legs below the knee. He tipped himself up onto his hands and he walked across hot coals on his hands. Yeah. And in that moment, I realized I was self-limiting. Right. I don't know that guy's name. I've never met him before. Or but he changed him. you. He changed, he changed you. my life. Yeah. That night I booked my ticket and I booked my flight. I went off to California to do the course that, that Tony Robbins was doing. Wow. Ended up doing all his courses and ended up becoming a senior leader. That's I've wonderful. Traveled the world speaking, working uh, for pleasure. And that guy taught me that we all self-limit. And once you choose not to self-limit, then the world opens up full of possibilities. That's wonderful. And I hope people are watching and listening to this. Have a look at the, your beliefs because if they're limiting you, right. it's up to you to change them. To change it. Yeah, I, that's a wonderful story. And I did read that in your book. Thank you for sharing that with us because it's had an impact on so many people. Yeah. Well, and you talk, we've got about four minutes before we go to break, but you talk a lot about learning to love yourself. And, and I really like this part of your book. Um, you say learning to love yourself and appreciate who you are is really important in creating positive and empowering relationships with other and then you with others. And then you talk about cherishing your body and loving yourself for who you are, you know, and I, I like that you really address this. And the reason I'm bringing this up is we, you know, we get so caught up with the outside appearance, but it's really the inside of, us that is the treasure and if we can just get past you know the outside and really know people on the inside that's where the you know the happiness and the joy and and you know the connectingness um, begins can you address that a little bit I think that there's been another pandemic that's been going on for a long time mm -hmm. and that pandemic is called comparisonitis because we compare ourselves to uh, people in the media who've had surgery, who have, you know, the best hair and makeup artists um, with Photoshop images that have okay. been airbrushed. That aren't real. Right. Exactly. And we're constantly um, comparing within, you know, and you look at social media, for example, which can have some really positive effects. 
But one of the issues, particularly for youngsters, is that they don't necessarily make the distinction between what's um, real and what is just an image. Right. And then we start to compare people's bank balances and their mm. houses and their cars. And one of the things, the positive things that certainly come out in the UK is I think there's been a, a reassessment of, of values. Right. Who would have thought that eight weeks ago we would be valuing porters in hospitals, people in shops and the food chain, doctors mm-hmm. and nurses, mm-hmm. higher than footballers, than media stars, than pop idols? And I hope that one of the things that will come out of, of this terrible tragedy, and I'm not making light of it, is that we will start to recognise that the value of kindness and compassion right. Right. and you know, recognising that we all have a part to play. Right. And yeah, you make the best of yourself, but actually by loving who you are, wobbly bits and all, and we've all got the bits of us that we don't like, right. you know, recognising even if you don't like the look of it, you know, enjoy it for its functionality Our bodies are amazing machines, aren't they? Right. You know, and as you talk about this, and I've been, my thing on the COVID is it's given us a time to actually sit and realize what's important. And just like you were saying, it's the people around us, you know, it's the love and the compassion that we have for each other. It's not all this outside stuff. It's not the material stuff that makes us happy. And it's made us sit. I, this is my big thing. It's made us th- sit and realize what is important. So I think when we go back to work, and I was telling you before we started the show, I finally got my hair done, guys, because they opened up in Texas. But it sounds so crazy. The girl who did my hair, she said, I am so happy to be here. And that's exactly what I think is going to happen when everybody finally gets back to work, because there will be no normal, this will be the new normal. When they get back to work, they're going to be so excited to be there that everything is going to be better than it was before. Do you think that, Tina? I hope so. I really hope so. And I I hope that we, this is, will have been long enough. Right. To make a change to make a fundamental change in yeah. what people see as important because yeah. it needed to happen. I agree. Hey, we, we got to go to commercial. I got to okay. stop you. I'm sorry. I love talking to you. I could talk to you for a couple hours. You guys, this is Nancy. You're out. We're here today with Gina Gardner. Um, please pick up her book. Gina, where can we get your book? It's on Amazon or you can go to the website, which is genuinely hyphen the word you.com genuinely hyphen you.com genuinely hyphen you.com you guys. Yeah. Okay. This is Nancy. This is Nancy. We'll be right back. We'll be right back with the high road and more. Don't forget to visit Nancy's website at nancyyearout.com to sign up for her online classes or to book a private session to learn how to tap into your own abilities. Do you feel like something is missing in your life? Do you feel lost or alone? Do the things you buy for yourself lose their luster quickly? Are you searching for fulfillment within your heart and soul? What if you were given the ability to change your life for the better, to create what you want for yourself? What if I told you you have the ability to tap into the universal energy to design the life you desire? 
This was my discovery many years ago. As a businesswoman and a single mom, I had no choice but to pay attention to what the universe was revealing to me. And I learned how to use it for my benefit. When you wake up and pay attention to the messages that the universe is showing you, your life will change for the better. Because we all hold the ability to tap into the universal energy to enhance our love life, our career, our finances, anything you wish. This energy was created for our use and it's free. Now, I'm excited to share this information with you in my book, Wake Up, The Universe is Speaking to You. It's available to you on my website at www.nancyyearout.com. That's N-A-N-C-Y-Y-E-A-R-O-U-T.com, Barnes & Noble, and Amazon. And thanks for picking up my book. And may the energy of the universe bless you. Join the millions of women each month who listen to Wise Health for Women Radio. Women are pressed daily to give more, learn more, and be more, often at the expense of mind, body, or spirit. Join us for revitalizing conversations on fresh ways to view your limited time, encouraging new, healthier perspectives. You provide a special spark to those around you, and you manage many roles, entrepreneur, mom, wife, coach, friend, daughter, and more. Here's a great way to inspire and nurture you. On Wise Health for Women Radio, host Linda Crater and her amazing guests share how to move toward your wishes and dreams and find what is possible in your busy life. If not today, then when? Take steps to flourish over 40. Join us on Wise Health for Women Radio, Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, on iTunes, and more at wisehealthforwomenradio.com. Helping women thrive. We want to thank you so much for listening to the show. Now, welcome back to The High Road. Hi, this is Nancy Earout. We're here today with Gina Gardner. Gina, give your website again. It's genuinely, then a dash hyphen, and then the word you.com. Okay, cool. You guys need to pick up her book. Um, it's, called, she's, it's called Thriving, Not Surviving, The Five Secret Pathways to Happiness, Success, and Fulfillment. Gina, there's so much stuff in here to talk about with you, um, but I marked a couple things I wanted to mention. I wanted to bring up one here. Um, there's a paragraph where you on page 107 here where you talk about being your own best friend and you say being your own best friend is all about learning to love and appreciate who you are unconditionally and learning to give yourself as much care as you would treasure as as a treasured best friend can you say a few words about that one of the things that I recognized pretty early on was that people often treat other people much better than they treat themselves they have one set of rules for themselves and something quite different. So, you know, when you talk to, to um, I talk to a client about an achievement and they say, oh, that's nothing, you know, it's, it's okay. And I'd ask the question, if that was your best friend who'd done that, would you just be saying to them, oh, that was okay? And they say, no, I'd tell them how well they'd done, how lovely it was. And so I came to the conclusion that if we each treated ourselves as we would a really treasured friend, no better, Mm-hmm. but no worse, right. then generally speaking, we would treat ourselves well. Because with a best friend, if they've done something that you don't like, you'll tell them 
that you don't go on and on and on. And yet that voice in our head can go on saying, what did you do that for? Why didn't you do this? You should have done this. You shouldn't have done that. Mm -hmm. And it can go on. And for some people, it's years and decades that they're still beating themselves up for things that they should or shouldn't have done earlier on. So being your own best friend is, I think, an easy way to recognize and measure if you're treating yourself well or not. And if you are not, then ask yourself the question when you're doing something, would I treat my best friend like that? Because if I wouldn't, why am I treating me like that? Right. We need to learn to love ourselves. And it's not a, it's not a, um, uh, I don't know uh, what the right word is here. It's not, it's not that we're being superficial in any way. We're all very um, good spiritual people. And if we used our spiritual self and like you were talking about earlier and we're more compassionate and, you know, or kinder when we went out into the world um, that would make a difference because it rubs off on everybody because it's, it's almost like a, a domino effect when you're kind or when you smile, then somebody else is kind and they smile and it's kind of, you know, it's contagious kind of thing. Um, another thing I wanted to ask you about, which I thought was really nice that you put in your book, you talk about time. And what I really liked, um, you, you talk about, uh, tell the story about the professor, if you wouldn't mind, that was given the lecture and he showed the students a large glass. Do you, do you mind telling that or, or do you remember it or should I read it real quick? Or? Um, if I remember the, the, the bit right, it's talk, he's talking about filling a glass jar. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And then, you know, if you fill the glass up with big stones, um, if you filled it up with sand first, you've got no room for the big stones. Right. If you put the big stones in first and the big stones represent things in life that are truly important to you, then in the spaces you put the smaller stones, which are the things that are important, but not the real core valued things. Right. And then you can fill the spaces with sand. But what most of us do, which are the, in, the, the inconsequential things, but most of us fill our lives with stuff. I know. It doesn't really matter. Um, And we're busy, busy being busy. And I think one of the things for, and it's been a lifelong lesson for me, is that we are called human beings for a reason, but most of us are human doings. Right. We're not being, we're not living in the now. We're not being quiet and being focused. And valuing the things that are important. Well, and you say something in here um, about time. You say something to the effect of, you know, look back and see where you're spending your time, you know, because, you know, if you were gone tomorrow, where would you really want to spend your time? And and that's, you know, because we all have an expiration date, right? So we're not going to be here forever. Yeah. I mean, something that I, I, I was conscious of, but it became very, very evident um, I had a younger brother, seven years younger than me. Okay. Um, and David um, went out cycling one day. He was going to be um, involved in the London to Brighton cycle race. Um, and he was going to, um, he and a team of his friends were cycling for, um, paradoxically, for um, uh, for a heart research. Oh, okay. Um, okay. And um, he collapsed, fell off his bike. As it happens, one of the team was a medic, but by the time they got off their bike and got to him, David had died. Oh my God. And, you know, I always look for, you know, what is it the positive that I can take out of this? And I was close to my brother and we were devastated. I'm sorry about that. Thank you. 
But one of the things that came up or the things that came out of that is for me to be really clear about what are my priorities in life. Right. And, you know, if we knew that we had very limited time, what are the things that we would want to do above all others? And for me, relationships have always been at the heart of everything. And my brother, unusually for, for many men, was so good at taking, you know, he'd text and often, and it might just say, love you. Or but just took the little, time to do it is what you're or saying. Or just a little X of yeah. thinking of you. Yeah. And when he died, I realized just how precious oh, that taking the time, what, what did it take him? Five seconds, 10 seconds? But he Not did it. He did it and it made a difference. Wired thought. Yeah. And how often do we take people, you know, how many of our listeners here have taken the time to say to somebody that they care about, I love you, or I care about you, or I appreciate you, or thank you. Mm-hmm. And we don't do it often enough. And for me, that it's taking the time to care, to think, and to act in that way is really important. You know, that is a wonderful story. Thank you for sharing that with us, by the way. Okay. Was, wow. Um, you know, there was one thing in your book I want to talk about. We've only got like five minutes left. Got, like I said, I could talk to you, Gina, for another hour. I have to have you come back. But one thing that really hit me um, is when you did this experiment, and I want you to tell the audience about it because I'm doing it. And I'm writing these little stickies and it's, I've got it on my screensaver. I am enough. Okay. Talk about, this is, I thought, I just want to tell you, I thought it was fantastic. What a great, great idea. Can you share your, your, it's I am not enough? Idea, um, I have to say, uh, I was, I was doing a, a program by a lady called Marissa Pierce okay. and she is a, a well-known hypnotherapist. She's English, but does a lot of work in America. Okay. And she was, um, she works with a lot of very rich and famous people okay. and had been commissioned by the producer of a TV show to work with uh, an actor who was one of the main characters in a series and he was threatening to walk out halfway through the series. Okay. Uh, and he said, will you go and work with, uh, with this guy? And she said, yes, I will. And he said, what sort of car do you drive? And she said, I drive a Ford. Why? And he said, well, don't take the Ford. He'll only have a Porsche or a Ferrari on the front of uh, on his front drive <laughs> so she arrived at the apportioned time and uh, he said what's that piece of crap doing on my my drive because she'd driven her car and she said well I'm here now come on let's have a cup of tea together and I, I have a pretty good idea what the problem is so he let her in and to cut a very long story short it turned out that this guy was the son of a very successful uh, lawyer who had wanted his son to follow in the family footsteps and the, the son wanted to be an actor. And the father had said, if you go and be an actor, then I'll disown you. Yeah. And he'd gone off to be an actor. And before he was successful, his father had died. Oh. And so nothing that he ever did was good enough to make up for the fact that he hadn't got his father's approval. And so he'd become a real prima donna. If it wasn't the very best of material things, then it didn't count. So she took a red lipstick and she wrote on every mirror in the house, and there were many, I am enough. And she put it as a screensaver and put it on his phone. Now, at that time, I was running a women's empowerment group. And I thought, this sounds like there's something here, because I I talked about being enough in all sorts of ways. Mm -hmm. And so I made some very simple posters, which simply said, I am enough. 
Uh, and I asked the ladies if they would put them up and I gave them six to put on their wardrobe, but on the back of the bathroom door. So every time they sat on the loo, they could see it <laughs> halfway down the stairs on the fridge door and so on. And I asked them every time that you see that phrase, I'd like you to say it with some real conviction. And I changed it slightly in that I wanted them to say it three times. I am enough. I am enough. I am enough. Okay. And I asked them to do that for the month between when we, uh, I gave it to them and when we met, and I did the same. The results were mind-blowing. Wow. They came back and said, we feel more assertive. We feel better about ourselves. We feel, and they use words like, I feel transformed. And well, I've now used it with hundreds of people. So it, it reprograms you. It does. It reprograms and you. Repetition yeah. of of it on a regular basis and then saying it with some real conviction right, start to reprogram the brain yeah. but i but red lipstick on your mirrors is a so-and-so to get off it's much <laughs> with a post so don't do that yeah well i mean because we've all had um parents that you know wanted us to do different things than what we did and maybe didn't encourage us enough and i really that really hit home with me and i pulled out the sticky and i did the screensaver and i said i'm going to do this because i think it's empowering and i think it's really fantastic hey gina we're to the end of the show and i just want to thank you i mean tell the audience if they want to get in touch with you do you do you do consultations can you do stuff on skype on zoom over I the do. phone you work with people all over the place so perfect I, there is a, good good give your information out for the folks okay so um if you're interested in in working with me one-on-one -on -one, they um contact me through the uh, website or gina at genuinely you.com and it's gina g-i-n-a at um, genuinely-u.com if you're interested in the newly launched enlightened leadership program then there is a dedicated website just for that which is enlightenedleadership.co but if you go to the the genuinely-u.com you'll find the leadership um, stuff on there as well right so <laughs> Her book is called Thriving, Not Surviving. I'm, if you're watching me on YouTube today, um, you can pick it up at Amazon. Gina, thank you so much for being here today. You were wonderful, and I really enjoyed your book. And I'm, I'm enough, and so are you. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right, you guys. This is Nancy Yearout. This is High Road to Humanity, and we will see you next week. You guys have a terrific week and take care. Bye-bye. Hey, you guys. Join me next week on The High Road for more stories filled with wisdom, love, and hope for our future. Have a fabulous week and know that by staying on the high road, you will make it to your destination. Visit my website, nancyyearout.com, where you can book a private session to learn how to tap into your own abilities and check out my YouTube channel. It's Nancy Yearout's High Road to Humanity. Yeah.